Grace, mercy, and peace to each of you in the name of Christ Jesus, Jesucristo, Señor y Salvador. Amen. In the verses that preceded our gospel text for today, we find Jesus and his followers at the temple. The disciples say to the Lord, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. It is quite understandable why these brothers were so gaga over this magnificent structure. Uh, after all, the, they were at the one place that perhaps most powerfully represented who and what they were. That magnificent structure was at the core of Jewish identity. And Jesus' disciples were surely secure and comfortable in that identity. As a youngster, one of the things I heard more often than is really comfortable recalling was, vas a ver cuando llegue tu papá. The English dynamic equivalent for that is más o menos something like, you're going to get it when your daddy comes home. <laughs> I'm sure that more than just a few of us can identify. Didn't those words have an amazing way of penetrating that protective bubble that we as children created when we were about our youthful rebellions? Sometimes it takes words that can pierce all the way to the heart to get our attention and to snap us out of our own little world so that we can really see what's going on. Jesus' response to the disciples was every bit the vas a ver cuando llegue tu papá. Just wait until your daddy gets done. Not one stone will remain on top of another, not one. It's very clear that Jesus' words penetrated the secure and comfortable world that the disciples found themselves within because they said to him a little bit later, Jesus, tell us, Lord, when will all this happen and how will we know that it's near? And the text for today is part of Jesus' answer to them. Let me read it again. Verse 24 says, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Verse 26 says, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And verse 27 says, And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Now, some exegetes interpret our sermon text by saying that Jesucristo was speaking very specifically about the destruction of the temple which occurred in 70 AD. Accordingly, the verses that speak about the sun and moon being darkened and about the stars falling from the sky are taken as Old Testament language of cosmic distress a la Isaiah chapter 13 when he was speaking about the destruction of Babylon. Verse 26, that speaks about the Son of Man coming in the clouds, then refers to the vindication of Jesus before his enemies when their seat of power and authority, the temple, is raised. Under this interpretive system, then, the angels, in verse 27, are the messengers throughout time and history that Jesus has sent out to gather the elect from the four corners of the earth and bring them into the kingdom, and that would be you and me, and every person that has ever proclaimed the gospel out there to bring the elect into the kingdom. 
But during the broader discourse, Jesus also told the disciples about the events and the signs which would mark the end of the age. That is, when he would return again in glory to put an end to history. Where the break occurs in Jesus' discourse is, of course, a matter of debate. And there are exegetes that actually interpret our sermon text by saying that Jesus was already at that point talking about what would happen at the end of time, on the day of the Lord, when time and history as we know it come to an end. And so for these exegetes, the darkening of the sun and the moon and the falling of the stars are an allusion to the cataclysmic destruction of the elements that's going to occur when Jesus returns to judge everything. And then the angels, in verse 27, are literally heavenly messengers that God sends out to bring in the harvest. So we're kind of caught between two ways to look at this passage. And so, what does the plain, ordinary preacher like me do when the elite exegetes don't agree? My goodness, that's pretty easy. I throw myself shamelessly into the arms of the systematicians and talk about second article stuff. So listen, brothers and sisters, what do Jesus' words mean? Well, the bottom line is, in what do you place your confidence? And the answer is easy. Well, in Jesus, of course. But I suppose that the disciples would have answered precisely that way, even as they were making observations about the magnificence of the temple and the huge stones out of which it was built. But we would never place our confidence in things like the temple or other earthly structures, would we? We are, after all, much more sophisticated than the fishermen that follow Jesus. Are we not? Or are we? Hmm. Prior to entering full-time ministry, I worked for one of the most brilliant men that I have ever met, a gifted and driven entrepreneur, a self-made millionaire. It was incredible to watch this man work. Sometimes he would stay up for two or three days in a row. After the first 24 hours, he would just catch 15 or 20-minute naps every two or three hours, and he'd go on and on and on. And he would go on this way until he tanked. It was really inspiring to watch this guy go, but when he tanked, it wasn't a pretty sight at all. He looked ashen and drawn and disheveled. Well, our offices were located on a floor just above a nurse hospice agency. One day, Tom, my old boss, went home at 7 a.m. after having tanked at the end of one of his long marathon sessions. Standing by his car in the parking lot, looking like death warmed over, he fumbled with his keys and dropped them on the ground. When he bent over and straightened up with his keys, he was face to face with Francis, the director of the hospice agency. She said to him, you know, Tom, I have been with a lot of people who were dying. I've heard them share both their joys and their frustrations as they came to the end of their life. And and you know what, Tom? Not a single one of them has ever said to me, gee, I wish I had spent more time at the office. You know, he, he, he got the message lamentably about a year later after a massive coronary from which, thankfully... He recovered. You know, maybe we're really 
not all that sophisticated. Maybe, maybe like my old boss, we're kind of caught up in the loveliness of the temple. Maybe we too tend to be just a bit self-absorbed, like children in our own little worlds. Maybe we too tend to really and truly place our confidence in things that, uh, that will pass away. Maybe, just maybe, we feel pretty good about what we are and what we know and what we can do. Maybe, just maybe, we're impressed by the huge columns and the beautiful beams that hold up the ceiling. But beloved, hear this. The temple will fall. Our earthly institutions will crumble. Even our own temples, our bodies, will fail. So what's the answer? Well, we really did have it right before, beloved. Jesus. But it is the Jesus we meet at that most damaged, most soiled, most rotten part of our being. Jesus the crucified. It is the Jesus who knows our sin intimately because he owned it. He took it upon himself to the cross. It is the Jesus who was there to meet us at our baptism. It is the Jesus who restored the temple after it was crucified and buried. He rebuilt it three days later. And it is the Jesus who will fully restore us and fully restore and rebuild the creation on the last day. Let your confidence be in him because he will not pass away but be with us until the end of the age. Amen. And now, may the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.